Good evening. Uh, tonight's episode of 97 Octane, we are going to take what was a group chat uh, out of the heavy hockey uh, thread and uh, run with a run with a show on it on on leadership. Um, Michael, I guess, uh, tried to get under my skin by uh, posting in the group chat that uh, just another reason to think Wayne Gretzky was one of the greatest athletes of all time. Do you think Messier, Coffee, Curry, Low, whatever say Gretz was trying to take all of the credit? Sounds to me like uh, that the whole Bulls team doesn't feel too highly of Michael Jordan. So tonight, let's talk about the greatest leaders in sports history. Let's talk about styles of leadership. Uh, let's talk about players' evolution in leadership styles. And we got uh, Graham in the bullpen, but I can't see his video yet. So until I get that, uh, we'll leave him in the bullpen. Um, I think he's working on it. Anyway, Bob, uh, thanks for joining me tonight. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to this conversation because I think uh, talking about leadership in sports is something that excites me. Um, you know, I wore a letter in, in several different sports and, and, uh, it meant a lot to me to be named a captain and, or even an assistant, uh, and taking a leadership role was something I took a lot of pride in. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think it's for everybody, but, uh, I think there's some athletes, you know, that take the ball and run with it. I got lots of clips of lots of famous athletes and look forward to showing you all that tonight and going through this with you. Um, what does it mean to wear a letter? Well, you know what, uh, Personal history, uh, when I was in high school, I was uh, pretty athletic in high school, and, and uh, I got asked to be one of the team captains for a volleyball team in, in high school, and I actually turned it down. Um, I, uh, For me, I just wanted to play. I didn't want any, I didn't, I didn't want any responsibility at, at that age at all. I just wanted to play, just to show up and and just just play my game just leave i don't i don't want i don't want to be have the captain's meetings that sort of stuff like that is my aim that i just wanted to play now as i've gotten older um uh, of course age-wise now uh I'm, I'm like the oldest guy on 98 percent of the ball teams i play and so you're automatically looked at uh, upon as a leader to begin with just on age alone at this point but uh i'm also at the point now where i like that role like i've learned so much in my sports journey that for me to be a leader i take pride in being a leader I take pride in, in the younger players coming up to me and asking questions or asking for advice and that sort of thing. So uh, to me, it's kind of like I'm getting back to, to the sports that I, that I've, that have given so much to me. And so I, I embrace the role now and I, and I feed off it and it, it, it is an honor to be looked upon as a leader. Absolutely. It is. Um, you know, for me, I, I remember being at a basketball camp when I was 12 years old and it was, I know the guy that put it on, his name was Mark Rollick. And there was something that he said to me that I think helped me to be a, a leader and to be a better, you know, athlete in general. Um, the thing he said to all of us basically was practice doesn't make perfect. And it, and it kind of shatters your whole, cause you, that's all you hear. Right. And, and then he followed it up with practice doesn't make perfect, perfect practice makes perfect. So he put a big emphasis on practicing things the right way. If you're practicing how to do things the wrong way, it doesn't matter how much time you put into it. Yeah. But if, if you, you know, work on your, your work ethic and, and the way, you know, you, you're trying to learn and, you know, he would also say that don't, don't practice things that you would never do in a game. 
Um, and I, I believe in that too. I mean, why spend a lot of time on, on doing things that you're not going to do in a game situation? Um, get yourself prepared for that game. You know, you have to have a little bit of fun with practice too, but I mean, it, it harvested a kind of a proper mindset on how to go about things. Um, and and I, I've never forgotten that day he said that. <clears throat> hey, let's backtrack a little bit here, Dursa. Um, you mentioned the fact that uh, you kind of quoted what, what uh, Hebert had been saying in our group chat. Yeah. And uh, uh, so what, what prompted that? Because you, you kind of touched on just on the, on the quote in regards to, to the bowl situation. So just bring your best <laughs> speed there, why, why that even got brought up in the top, in the, in the DM. I think Michael was just trying to get a debate going, so he just blurted that out out of nowhere. Uh, the response was to something Luchansky said that had nothing to do with leadership or anything like that. Uh, Chad, Chad's in the bullpen there. We got his video now, so we'll bring him into this one. Hey, Mr. Graham. Uh, just, just kind of, uh, we're getting going here on, on our leadership talk. Um, did, I, did, I miss all, did I miss all of Bob's segment? <laughs> Yeah, he hasn't really, he hasn't really, he hasn't really had much to say yet. Basically, what prompted this whole yeah, that's a bold face lie. <laughs> yeah. What what basically prompted this whole uh, episode for tonight was uh, he bear just kind of throwing a jab at me to spark conversation in our heavy hockey group chat about uh, you know Wayne Gretzky doesn't have any teammates that dislike him. Everybody on the Bulls hates Michael Jordan, so. Uh, one more reason that Wayne uh, should be considered um, one of the greatest athletes of all time. I'm not going to dispute Wayne Gretzky being one of the greatest athletes of all time. I'm not going to dispute that Wayne Gretzky was a great leader, um, but I will dispute the fact that Michael Jordan uh, is hated by everybody on the Chicago Bulls that's ever played there. I think there's three guys that I can name, and I bet he bear couldn't name one of them yeah. <laughs> um, that, that, that don't think too highly of Michael Jordan, but uh, his name isn't Scottie Pippen, despite what uh, some people might think. Um, I've got lots of clips tonight. we got lots to get through. This is going to be a fun episode. Um, I, I might as well start with showing you a clip of, of the man and, and why Scottie Pippen probably doesn't hate him. Um <laughs> You know, this is, I'll get to the raw part of this and then I'll show you a, a little bit more in depth, but uh, let's bring in Michael Jordan tonight. And McDaniel and Pippen are having words. Jake O'Donnell separates the two. That's number two on the X-Man. The timeout was called clubs going at each other michael jordan and xavier mcdaniel having well i think i know what he said there i i you know i don't said, think you... he said shut the fridge door uh, yeah that's what i saw that's a closed captioning showed me yeah and there's there's a little bit more to that whole thing so i'll show you the this other part that kind of shows a little bit of who michael jordan is i mean he yeah, he definitely was a shoot-first kind of guy, but if somebody was open, he was looking for them. But, he, I mean, I think that shows you that he had his teammates back, and I think that's what true leaders uh, need to have. But this is a, a little bit more in-depth. And the New York series was one of those fatherly uh, advice type of series. So I kind of asked him, what should I do? How should I attack? Should I feed off my teammates, or should I go out and be the leader and, and let them follow my lead? And like most fathers, I mean... He said, take the lead. 
If they don't follow you, they don't follow you. But you have to take the lead. Hunt right. There's a oh, hard by Oakley again. It's a flagrant foul again. And now McDaniel wants a piece of Pippen. I was ready to go blows with it. Both clubs going at each other. Michael Jordan and Xavier McDaniel having words. I felt that I had to talk trash to the bully so we all can gain confidence. Pippen to Jordan. I miss 90s basketball, by the way. <laughs> that's when it was good. It was intense and there was physicality uh, on the court. And now that's pretty much all gone. It's too nice now. But anyway, I mean, there's different styles of leadership. I, I think Wayne was a, a guy that led mainly by example. Although, you know what? We, we weren't in that dressing room. We just, we perceived that because that's that's sort of what we know. We we kind of don't see Wayne as that vocal, you know, really barking or uh, demanding kind of kind of leadership. It was more a quiet and lead by example style, as far as we know. I mean, that's that's my impression. Well, let's uh, let's face facts. Uh, the '80s Oilers had Dad, and his name was Glenn Saylor. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's another thing that comes into play is is um, coaching and and really. You know, to have a successful organization, I think you need leadership that isn't just the guys, you know, on the bench. It it, it comes from the coach. It, it comes from the assistants. It comes from the trainers. I mean, all the way up to president and the owner. I, leadership is, you know, demanding and, and it's it's not for everybody. Well, the thing about team sports is everybody needs to know their role. And if they they, they play their role properly, then the team is a well-oiled unit. But... I think that a lot of teams that struggle with that whole leadership aspect is because they don't necessarily understand their role as a player, as a coach, as a training staff, as a owner. You know, uh, you've probably heard of Jocko Wilnick. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I listen to him too. And you know, he comes at leadership from a Navy SEAL standpoint, but, uh, I like some of the things that he has to say, say, you know, trying to keep an even keel as a leader too. Like, you know, um, I got a question for both of you. Do you know when a team is most susceptible for a heartbreaking defeat? When they're most susceptible to it? Yeah. When they get too emotional? Got a guess, Chad? Um, I don't know. When it becomes too important? Team is most susceptible to suffer a heartbreaking defeat right after a triumphant victory. Oh yeah, I don't know if I buy that, but okay. Well, I know that I think there's definitely some truth to it. I find, and, and uh, because it's tough to find your groove again after you come off from that high, 
Like you, you reach the highest of highs kind of thing, and you're on cloud nine, and now you got to start from ground zero again next game, and you're still, you're like this, you're still helping back from that high. This is I, I don't know. Not, this I don't know. is where. Professional sports, I don't agree with that at all. Because if you're no. coming off a, a high high, that's that's a learning experience. This me. is this is where outstanding leadership is the most essential: is to keep everybody grounded so there's still business for the next game. Yeah, I can see that. So Glenn, Glenn, so Glenn Sather. Yeah, or well, I think so. Glenn Wayne, Sather, Wayne, Wayne and Mark too. Uh, without a doubt. Uh, like you're Craig. you're bang on about uh, Glenn Saylor being the dad for sure. He did play that quality yep. figure and molded him into the men uh, they were to become kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. But but the, the, as time goes on, I mean, you you also like you you get up you get these bits and pieces that you pick up during the playing, and you look at other leaders and uh, and you find your own style. I think you find in most cases, especially guys that become leaders young, captains young, uh, like like Connor McDavid now for that for that matter. Uh, they are that quiet person uh, who's still trying to find his uh, their place in the game uh, and on the team. And now all of a sudden they're the leader and it's more about actions. And then as time goes on, like we heard this year quite a bit during interviews, how Connor was speaking up a lot more in the dressing room sort of thing, being a lot more hands-on, being a lot more verbal. You're, and that's something you, leadership is a skill that you develop as well. You're skipping ahead on me a little bit, but uh, <laughs> that's okay. Because um, one of the things I wanted to to ask you guys too is is if you see like a transition in Connor's leadership style from a little bit of a you know when he first came into the league, let's say a Wayne Gretzky lead by example kind of guy, to now transitioning into more of a vocal leader. But Gretzky was the same way though. Gretzky was the same way. Like he was. He started becoming more of a vocal guy later on in his career as well in the dressing room. Like once you learn uh, what to say and when to say it, you start using that skill a bit more as well. And it's not just your actions. Yeah, and I don't think we get to see that side of Connor anyway because no. he's so reserved in his uh, PR stuff. Like we're never really going to see the, the the Connor McDavid that the guys see. But I I do believe that Connor grew into his role very well. And as did Wayne, you're right. I mean, you don't bring a market to the United States and not have a vocal guy in the dressing room. I don't care who you are. So what did Wayne take from Glenn? What did Wayne take from Mark? What did Wayne take from, I mean, a good leader is willing to learn from, from all the great pieces around him too. I think, I think that piece gives us a nice little segue into Mr. Derek Jeter from the Yankees. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll play this piece from him. It's uh, I think pretty good too. Do you grab, do you watch other leaders? Do you watch other captains? Like, have you drawn from those guys at all? Have you been able to, in, in your leadership uh, style? Well, I mean, I'm fans of athletes from all different sports. I've never tried to emulate anyone else. I, I've tried to be myself. Um, I've learned a lot from watching guys, um, you know, especially guys when I was younger. But I think uh, in terms of leadership, I think leadership is viewed differently by different people. I mean, there's there's people that lead by example. Um, there's people that are vocal leaders, people that do a little bit of both. Uh, I think you just have to be who you are. Uh, you know, How do you categorize your leadership? Uh, a little bit of both. <clears throat> you know, I'm... I'm yeah, I really try to take the time to get to know the people that I'm leading. I think that's most important. Uh, you know, I was—I don't think you walk around as a self-proclaimed leader. 
you know, I think if you do things the right way, uh, you're honest with people, um, you know, people may tend to follow, but, uh, you know, I don't put on a show, I don't do things in front of a camera. Uh, you know, I've had plenty of conversations with teammates uh, behind closed doors, and, uh, you know, I've always heard, oh, you're not vocal, he's not vocal, he's just lead by example, but, uh, you know, how would people know unless they're behind closed doors? So. I'm no, I have no problem with that, I, like, but I, like I said, I think the, the most important aspect of leadership is getting to know the people that you're leading. Sorry, <laughs> I didn't need to play it twice. I, uh, I, I agree with just about everything he says there, except for the part where he doesn't emulate other people. I think that's kind of essential to be maximizing what you can be as an athlete. Yeah, I think the ego part of Jeter didn't didn't want to admit that he's learned a lot from other leaders and uh, implements that in his, in his uh, leadership skills. Because if uh, there's nobody on the planet that could say they haven't uh, taken a leadership skill here and there and implemented it in their own styles and ways. Yeah, I, th I think it, you, you need to have a relentless pursuit of getting better. And in order to yeah. do that, you can't just rely on yourself. Yeah, a relentless pursuit and getting better in, in all aspects of, of yourself as an athlete. That Not just the physical part, obviously, but like as we're talking now in regards to leadership skills. Yeah, same thing. Like he, he admitted to being a big fan of other sports, so you know he was picking up on what they're doing to help improve his game. So there's no way he wasn't doing it in, in his leadership capacity as well. I agree. And Zach, Zach Johnson in the PGA needs to fucking learn a thing or two about leadership if he wants to captain the Ryder Cup. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> okay, that, that that turns the corner. Build your case for why uh, Tiger Woods is a great leader. Tiger Woods is an amazing leader. He did so much for the sport of golf. It's not even funny. The purses those guys have right now and the crowds they have are all because of Tiger Woods. Yeah, Jack and Arnie and, and players started the, the league, but uh, Tiger Woods is who... who Turn the league into something phenomenal. And but, um, but I want I want you to expand on what Tiger does to golf that nobody else did before because I know you've got answers to that too. Well, Tiger brought um, an entertainment value for one. Um, he brought a dominance value to the game of golf, and as a single player uh, game where you're not surrounded by a, a team on the field, so to speak. He has a huge team, but not on the field. He went out there mentally so strong that no one could touch him. Nobody. Curtis strange had an interview with him talking about, you know, like you're going to lose tiger. You're going to lose. And tiger literally looked at him and said, Nope, I'm here to win. That's what I'm going to do. And Curtis Strange ate his words. Now, Tiger on the Ryder Cup team and the President's Cup team, that's a whole different ballgame. They love him. They respect him. That's the biggest key to being a leader as well is because what he did for golf may, is what forces these guys to respect him. But what we don't see outside of, or in the game of golf is how much they love him outside of golf. He's a great friend to all of them. He's a wonderful human being regardless of his personal problems that he had, the players love Tiger. And Zach right now is making a huge mistake by making stupid comments because Kepka got into the Ryder Cup coming from the Live Tour, making really stupid comments because guess what? Brooks is on your team, so you better figure it out or he's going to blow it for you. That's called shitty leadership. <laughs> um, let's get into what you think uh, characteristics of a strong leader are 
go around the horn, Bob, Chad, and then me? Well, uh, I think uh, Jeter uh, made a good point there of being aware of who you're leading. Like it's, uh, it's so many different, so many individuals that make up a team. So each individual has their own, you know, kind of needs that need to be met and uh, are different ways of communicating. So you have to recognize how to communicate different people, how to communicate uh, to the individuals and how to communicate to the team. Um, you need to be, uh, c- communication is, is such a huge part of leadership. Accountability is such a huge part of leadership. Leading by example, uh, not just not just talking the talk, but uh, but walking the walk. Uh, I'm, I'm sure there's, there's like an extensive uh, list of, of leadership uh, you know, qualities that you need to be a great leader. And that's just, that's just a few of them, but all these great leaders have, have those aspects uh, in them. And that makes them great leaders. They excel at those, those aspects of leadership. I agree. And, and from in a sports um, situation on, on a team sport, the, the key to being a great leader, the start of being a great leader is walking the walk. That's mm-hmm. the start. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to walk the walk. If you can't walk the walk, then nobody's going to follow you. Um, respect is a big thing. Like, no leader can walk into a dressing room with an ego so big, like uh, maybe a fellow like, um, I don't know, Sean Avery wouldn't be a good uh, good uh, leader. He has an issue with his fucking ego, and same with Kachuk. I'm just saying, there's <laughs> ego problems. And ego, ego, ego and leadership don't coincide. So when a guy like Connor McDavid, who – we are going to talk about obviously because he's the greatest hockey player to ever play the game walks into a dressing room and everybody knows he's the greatest player to ever play the game and still treats you with respect and appreciates you as a teammate. That's a big deal. And you're going to listen when he talks. It's just fact. If he says something, if he acts out of the ordinary, you're going to like a a submissive dog. You're going to listen with your ears bent back and say, Oh shit, I got to make sure I do good. And with that respect factor, Chad, also a lot of it is too that you don't want to let the guy down. So he brings out the he brings out the best in you. Um, I watched this uh, this not even sports player here, but I, I, it translates. But I watched a documentary here on on Creedence uh, Clearwater Revival, and they were talking to members of the band and about how much John Fogerty was the leader. And one of the guys mentioned the fact that yeah, like when they rehearse and when they perform, I, I don't want to let John down. Right. There's so much respect for him at that time. Obviously, they had a falling out later on as a band. But at that time, you just, you just want to do your best for your leader, which translates to doing your best like for the team. Um, so for, for me to be a strong leader, you have to learn to listen to people and how to communicate. I think that's really important. Um, you know, if you ask somebody to do something, it has to be something that you're willing to do yourself or that you do do yourself. I think you know, holding yourself accountable before you ask anybody else to be accountable is uh, probably the right way to approach things uh, as well. Um, Other thing, you know, we talk about kind of quiet leaders. Um, One of the things I threw at Hebert during that discussion was, uh, you know, the Chicago Bulls were consistently losing to the Detroit Pistons. They were getting beat up physically and, and couldn't get over the hump and, and couldn't find a way to beat them. They were a more talented, talented team, but um, they just got beat up physically and couldn't figure out how to get, get through it. So Michael Jordan started what he called the 5 a.m. club, but it was basically himself lifting weights to get stronger <laughs> as a way to combat all the abuse he was taking. 
And then Scottie Pippen and Horace Grant joined the 5 a.m. club and, and, you know, Hebert had to say, well, it's Jordan's God complex. And, you know, these guys didn't want to do that on their own. Well, no, they saw him doing it and decided to do it on their own. So that's I mean, a way, that's, 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 that's the epitome of leadership. Yeah. So that segues me into something else that I think is comical, but also, uh, you know, worth a look because it shows you that not every professional athlete is all on the same level. There's guys on different levels. So I got to show you this clip. You'll, you'll enjoy this one. It's kind of funny, but it's kind of like, okay, this guy is different. We're in Vegas, you know, we're training and all of that. And we want to go out. So we all go out, uh, everybody but Cole, 5.30 or 6 in the morning. And guess who's in the lobby on his way to the gym? Kobe is downstairs in the lobby with his bag and his sneakers and his gloves, like weight weightlifting gloves. And we're like, oh, you like joking? Like, where the fuck are you going? Like, where are you going, bro? I'm going downstairs. I'm going to the gym. And in my mind, I'm like, what the fuck? And this motherfucker Kobe was already like drenched in sweat. And we was like, oh yeah, he different. Like, man, it's four o'clock, man. I'm five o'clock, man. I'm going to sleep. I'm not see you at practice. As we're going in the elevator up to our rooms, we're like, did you did you hear that? Like we're all talking to like, this guy's really dedicated. Every day I'm hustling, every day I'm hustling. So next thing you know, it goes from just Kobe going at 5:30 in the morning to LeBron and D-Wade. And by the end of the week, the whole team was getting up every morning and we're on Kobe's schedule. Like it was a domino effect. You know, once you start seeing like, you know, the greats in there doing their thing and leading that pack, and it's like, oh, I'm that, I'm, I'm here, I'm with you. Like, let's let's go. And he created that. Like he wanted that. He wanted to see who was gonna commit. I'm gonna be honest with you. I wasn't going at no fucking 430. That's that's too early. <laughs> but we started getting down there for, you know, breakfast and lifting weights and we would lift, then we would eat, and then go to practice. For Kobe, he was the best player. But now LeBron James, Carmelo Anthony, these guys were coming up. How do you handle that? And how do you lead a team when you're the alpha dog? So that's the Mamba mentality. And, and you know what? I, so I, Kobe, I think I think McDavid has kind of developed that the last couple of years. The, these losses in the playoffs, you see him just going relentless in the summer to get better. Oh, for sure. I mean, he proves he proves how great he is throughout the season, hoping that the team will follow him into the playoffs. But let me ask you a question, since you're the basketball guru of the uh, <laughs> podcast. Yeah. If you had to pick your your one star player on your basketball team, Kobe or Jordan? Uh, I'm taking Michael. Really? Yeah. Yikes! I, don't I think know. I do too. Kobe, I Kobe. But one thing that that did bring up there with uh, you know again like Kobe obviously being one of the one of the elite greats of all time, and um, and that there was a good display of uh, or example of, of his leadership as well uh leading by example yeah. i remember when uh was it like even uh Yerma jaeger when he was in florida he, he was he was that guy like already then he's pushing like he's in his 40s i think he's in florida he's 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 gonna be a hall of famer he's one of the greatest of all time 
And even at the age of 40, he was still the guy who stayed late after practice, was the first one at practice doing, doing laps or skating drills sort of thing. And just, you know, he already achieved everything he needed to achieve in hockey, and yet he was still perfecting his game, still working at his craft. The the thing that blows my mind is is that Michael Jordan in the same season won Defensive Player of the Year and uh, right. the scoring title. So, like that's like I said in the group chat, it's like winning the Art Ross Trophy and the Selkie Trophy in the same season. I mean, it's just mind blowing. There's only been two players in NBA history that have that have done that. Who's the other one? David Robinson. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. That's a name from the past. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean the guy was the guy was the guy was the best defender and the best offensive player. It just it, it's yeah. And and he took the challenge every night to guard the other team's best player. You know, it, well, I think you want that as as elite players that you want to go against the best. The best make you the best, and that they bring up the best in you. Like uh, I'm sure, like like you, you listen to Conor McDavid talk, he loves going up against like Chris Letang or uh, Drew Doughty, like like proven defenders, and you know it tests him as best as they can test him. And he wants to he wants to beat those guys. He wants to beat the best of their craft and achieve success that way. So, so how much in leadership requires like insane mental fortitude? Yeah. Absolutely unwavering mental fortitude. Yeah, right. No, you're 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 bang on. You do because you got like you're the one who's shouldering most of the load for the ups and downs of the season, and and you and you can't show uh, like defeat the defeatist of the defeat. Like you get you got to rally the troops around for the for the next one, and yeah, your mental toughness has to be through the roof. So, so do we give the the guy who who took a sport that was meh, okay to a dynamic monster of a of a sport by yourself with insane mental fortitude and call him the greatest athlete of all time or no? Where are you going with this? He's on his tiger, he's, tiger he's on his tiger train. I, I, uh, <laughs> you know, this is this is tough. I mean. Wait, every other every athlete you've talked about to me so far has a team behind them, not just them. So it, to do it by yourself, with you and only you, your thoughts fighting against a field of elite players, just you. That to me is the sign of somebody who is amazing. Uh, but who is he leading in that in, in that uh, in that himself, moment? Himself, it's a war of attrition against himself. I mean, that, yeah. there's something to be said about that. But I, I don't know if it's I don't know if it's harder or easier to only have to lead one. Well, no, I think it I, I think it can be both because let's face yeah. it, uh, if you're uh, an upscale athlete, there you are the hardest on yourself as well. So. You'll be you're beating yourself down and trying to lift yourself up. So I think that's got to be a, a huge inner battle. So, so when yeah. you go into your sport and you show up to your event, and the only person that the only person you can rely on is yourself, nobody else. That's it. Nobody else. If you have a bad shift in hockey, you can rely on the second, third, and fourth lines and the goalie to bail you out. Yeah, yeah. Or in basketball, if, if Jordan makes a mistake, he's got his team to to back him up. Mm-hmm. Who does? Who in any golfer? Who do they have to back them up in the moment? Yeah, Daddy. no, every yeah, every everything is your fault, and everything is is your doing. That's 
that's, yep. I mean, that's, yeah. But I don't, in the same token, I mean, if, if you're on a shitty team and you have to lead them to the promised land, I, I don't know if it's easier to do that solo or, or in a team. Yeah, but you're, you're, team if you're on a shitty team, if you're on a shitty team, you're not expected to do that. That's the difference. You're not. Like even look, that's, look that's at where, look at Connor. That's where look, strong look, leadership look is really important, though, is to, is to pull you sure, out of the bedroom and make something out of nothing. Absolutely, and there isn't there isn't many people who have taken a sport and turned it into a massive, crazy, money making frenzy like Tiger Woods. No one. Yeah. No one. Yeah. I equating finances to leadership i don't know if that's something i i would you know why not it's it's all about it's all about uh your your ability to take the sport to a new level then then i don't who who else else is taking the sport to a new level let's 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 put it that way jordan brand is is a a billion dollar operation i don't know if that makes michael jordan a better athlete than tom brady (laughs) well after after yeah but after watching that documentary his mother is the reason for that but regardless <clears throat> Nike paid him a pile of money and they still are. Yeah. She was quite the business person. Yeah. But to take the sport itself, there's only one other that I can think of that really took the sport in our generation anyway, and made it a huge, like bigger than they ever dreamt. And that's Wayne when he went to LA and oh. brought the NHL to the States. He opened it up. Yeah. I mean, Jordan okay, did the same so- thing for the NBA too, but Going back then, do do you think that's something, though, that uh, they were doing intentionally? Do you think that's something that Tiger Woods was doing intentionally? uh, Or was he just trying to to do the best he could to be the the greatest golfer he could? Yeah. All Tiger wanted was to be the the best golfer that ever lived. So he wasn't intentionally growing the sport. Uh, That that wasn't even his intention. It it was to better his performance and to be the best golfer that he could be, to be the best in the world. I think so. I'm not sure if that sounds like it. I'm not sure. Sounds like a good leader to me. It doesn't. That doesn't seem like leadership to me. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I I'm a Tiger Woods fan. I think I do think he's the greatest golfer of all time, and he did. And you're bang on. He grew the game, big time. But it it wasn't. He made it mainstream, but it wasn't intentional. It, uh, his intention was to be the best golfer in the world, right? That wasn't for anybody else. That was for him. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm not. I'm not sure that really equates to leadership. Well, I mean, if you ask the other players now that are that are coming up and and grew as golfers because of Tiger Woods, yeah. like how many people are there? Rory McIlroy, guys that are there because of Tiger Woods. Yeah. Okay, so that to me, so that's, but I think that's where that leadership skill is something that that got developed later. Because with other doubt, he's a leader on the tour now because people, so many people look up to him, and he realizes he's a mentor and an idol to so many of these guys, so he can offer advice and you know put his arm around them give them encouragement that sort of thing so that's that's something after the fact but during the heat of the moment when he was growing the game basically unintentionally i don't think that was a leadership thing a leadership thing came after the fact when he realized the impact he was having yeah i think people watch the way like like tiger approaches his craft and and how much passion and fire he has in the game and, and that's probably the side of Tiger that uh, resonates with with other people, and that's probably what grew the game. I, I don't think it hurts that, let's face it, he he broke through a racial barrier 
that was on many golf courses and, uh, you know, and never looked back and, and went through the bullshit with guys like Fuzzy Zoller and, 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 and all yeah. of that. And, and basically was the Jackie Robinson of golf. Yeah. Bullshit. That's an understatement. Yeah. One of the masters. Well, racism. Let's, let's, let's not talk about Augusta. Let's just yeah. say racism. Yeah. I mean, he, he, yeah. he broke, he broke barriers. Uh, he yeah. was the, he was the Jackie Robinson of golf. So, I mean, in that sense, but Tiger, and, but Tiger and, didn't and that's it. a tough way to leave. Tiger didn't do, and Tiger didn't do it with his mouth. He did it with his golf clubs. His ability to play. Yeah. yeah. He, he never yeah. really fought. But that's for, another example of if he just talked the talk, it wouldn't have made any impact. But he like he he made his impact yeah. with his with his uh with his talent and then used that platform to make a difference. Yes. Yeah, it's like trash talking. You it does no good if you can't back it up, but his game can well, back it up. And that's funny because uh, <laughs> on a personal level, uh, the games that I was that I would be backing up as a goalie, uh, I did all my trash talking when I was on the bench. I hardly ever trash talk on the ice because on the bench I didn't have to back it up. I could just say what I wanted to. <laughs> on the ice, if they score once, they win the trash talk battle. Like that, nah, you know, but on the bench, I I just talk nonstop. Absolutely, I'm with you there, Bob. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna pull another clip just because I got a lot to get through. I don't think we've segued to one specifically, but uh, let's do one with Tom Brady and Terry Bradshaw, shall we? I got a quote here. I'm going to read it to you. It's with determination a person can link leadership and confidence to create an image of ability and brilliance. They want to be associated with a winner. And if you can give the impression of being a winner, people then will follow you. Isn't that great? I love that. Yeah, that is just like everything that a quarterback is. Yeah. You know, yeah. when you get in the huddle and you call those plays, you got 10 other guys that are feeling your energy. And what are you putting off? Are you putting off confidence? Are you putting off fear? You know, they can feel all that. And when they get in the huddle with me, I want to look in their eyes and I want them to feel a belief that we're going to do it. Atlanta 28, New England 3. Gotta play harder. Gotta play tougher, harder, tougher, everything. Everything we got. Brady from the snap, straight drop. Falcons trying to get there. Brady's going to run. Brady just slides up in the middle. Brady's like, fuck you. And it's a 15-yard scamper right up the gut for a 39-year-old man. You know, he Love was... that game. Play the whole game. Play yeah. the game. Play the whole game. Uh, yeah. I mean, is that the greatest comeback in sports history? I, I got to think it's up there for sure. It's, oh, yeah. It's crazy. Ridiculously crazy. No, it was amazing. I, I, I like in that though. The, I just showed a bit of it. I could have showed the whole thing because it's it gives you goosebumps. But you know, he barks at at the guys trying to get them going. They're they're in a big hole, and the first thing he does is he runs for fifteen yards, something like for anybody else that you know that that's massive for him. And fifteen yards for Tom Brady is 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 like forty for anybody else. You know, like and and yeah, I mean that. That guy wasn't blessed with a lot of athletic, God-given ability. He just, you know, worked hard and and diet and exercise. And and you know, I'm gonna miss him not being in the NFL this year. I think quarterback is a unique position because, regardless yeah. of how much experience you have at uh, at quarterback, as soon as you hit the field, 
you are the leader. Like you could be a rookie and you could have your, you know, uh, a running back or, or, or a lineman that's somebody that's been there for 15 years on the team, but you are the guy who's getting got them huddled up and barking the plays and, you know, getting encouragement and, and exuding confidence, right? That, Hey, I, I know, I know I'm 21 years old straight out of college, but I'm going to lead this team. Like you, you gotta, you gotta show that confidence. It's such a unique position to be in as an athlete. I imagine you're forced to be a leader in that position. Yeah. Really you are because you know, for every play, you're the one telling everybody what they're supposed to do and, and where they're supposed to go. And I mean, if you aren't a leader and you, you shouldn't be a quarterback, I, I just, I, I think you're, you're forced into that position and you can either, you know, run with it or you can flounder and, and not make it. And, and maybe that's why some of these guys coming out of college, you know, into the NFL never really pan out because, you know, those other guys beside you aren't believing in you because yeah. you're, you're, your lifestyle is is in chaos, and and they just don't buy into you being the man to to lead them to a victory, or you know to get them down the field and not get injured. <laughs> well, Tom Brady touched on it there in that little clip you were showing that about portraying confidence, right? So it's yeah. it's got to be that as a human being, it, like it's got to be a bit intimidating to be uh, barking orders uh, to guys who have been in the league for 10 plus years after that. And then, you know what, follow me boys. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if you don't believe in yourself, how is anybody else going to believe in you either? Yeah. You, know? you can't come across timid and, and passive in the huddle. That's for damn sure. Okay. <laughs> I think I need to show a Messier clip here. So we get at least <laughs> a little bit of hockey content. <laughs> um. But first, let's let's explore a little quick little Gretz uh, clip because you, you guys have seen this a million times. I know it, but uh, I, I think in this one it kind of shows a little bit insight into Wayne's mindset. Uh, you know, it's kind of a cute clip, but um, I get kind of where Wayne comes from out of this, and I know he was inebriated when he did it, but. <laughs> it, it kind of it kind of does paint a little bit of a picture of, of Gretz's kind of mindset and and you know his greatness. It's a challenge. It is a challenge. That's Every time you step that. on the ice, it's a challenge. It's not. That's what yeah, everybody reads me wrong. It's not a challenge to me. What's that? It's not. I can't pronounce me better than anybody. It's not a challenge. It's fun. Well, okay, Gretz. I, I love it. I don't do it because it's a challenge. I don't go up there and say, "Well, I'm tired. I got to do this or that." I don't. I go up there because I say. I want that puck. Yeah. And you guys get your own puck. <laughs> I don't go out there and say, well, I want to score five goals tonight. Well, so-and-so's got 10 points. I got to get 11 points. No, I don't mean that. I don't it's mean like that. everybody's trying to compare me with Marilyn Mew. Marilyn Mew gets 300 points. I'm happy for him. I, I am. I'll shake his hand. Why did you get three it's, it's what I do when I'm on that ice. I, I love that clip because to me that is like that it that that's an insight onto Wayne and Mark kind of like the going at each other in a leadership role, and it and it you know Wayne's not afraid to kind of push back on Mess and Mess is not afraid to push back on Mark, and I I really think that that's what builds you know a, a strong team is is kind of a little bit of leadership challenging each other. Well, lead, leaderships uh, you know leaders push each, push each other. And so, you know, in that short clip, even I'm sure they've had, uh, you know, a gazillion more conversations like that 
yeah, uh, inebri- inebriated or not. Yeah, there's no there's no way you don't grow from those kind of uh, discussions, those kind of debates, and those kind of conversations. And and you know, the, I'm not here to say Tom Brady's a better leader, Tiger Woods, Michael Jordan, Wayne Gretzky. These are all phenomenal leaders. They just come about it in in different ways, and both of all of them have had you know tremendous success with with their with their various leadership styles. I. I I'm not going to rank who I think is better than than other people, but I don't know I mean, if you can. I don't know if you can rank that. Like, how do you grade leadership? You don't. You don't necessarily grade it by uh, the team success and whatnot. It either, it either works or it doesn't. That's how you grade it. <laughs> yeah. if, if anything, you could grade it by uh, how long they were a leader, right? Because if you're if you're an effective uh, leader, then uh, you know they're going to keep you in that position for a long time, like uh, Steve Eisman. Like, the longest, the longest serving yeah. captain of all time in the NHL, twenty years. I mean, if that isn't an indication, twenty-one, twenty-one years, not twenty, twenty-one. <laughs> but if that is an indication that you're a great leader, then uh, because they don't, you know, they keep you in that position the whole time. Like that's that's absolutely incredible. Begs the question: When was Crosby named captain in Pittsburgh? Was his first year or second? Well, I think Mario was still there for that first year as captain. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, let's let's roll to a mess clip. Uh, which one do we want? Uh, let's go this one that has some Edmonton time in it. <laughs> From a very early age, I was programmed to win. My whole concentration and focus was on winning and doing whatever it took to win. When Mark was not talking in the dressing room is when you knew that the other team was in trouble and you didn't want to get in his way. <laughs> Nothing was too big for him. If there was a challenge, he faced it head on and usually came out on top. I promised Mess I wouldn't do this. <laughs> With Gretzky gone, Messier was named captain, and the Oilers officially became his team. I don't think my role really changed in the dressing room from a leadership standpoint. From a playing standpoint, obviously, that I was thrust into more of an offensive role and more offensive responsibility. What made Mark so special was unselfishness, wanting his teammates to be successful. I don't think I ever played with someone that uh, loved the game or respected the game more than Mark. He made the game easier for everyone he played with. A fantastic individual and a fantastic hockey player. He's like one of the greatest humans on this earth. I love Andy. I, I got a chance to play with him uh, in a old timers game here in Grand Prairie on his line. Got to play a third period with him. And, um, he sent me on a breakaway, and I put it about into the fifteenth row. Actually, the concession behind <laughs> behind the fucking um, Crystal Center. Uh, <laughs> I was so nervous. I think I rattled a bit of the crossbar and it went like into the concession. I did get an assist on one of his 13 goals that game though. So that, that was, that was cool. And, and then got to go to the shark club and have beers with him and uh, Dave Tiger Williams and them telling stories and stuff. It was, it was a great night. You know, in my lifetime, uh, when we, uh, as far as great hockey captains go, Mark Ness is, is the first name that comes to my, to my mind. Uh, I know it's kind of interesting here in that clip that when, uh, when Gretzky left, Mark became the, the captain and, but he didn't feel like his leadership position changed much. Which tells you how much uh, Gretzky and Messi were kind of uh, probably uh, co-leaders on that team, um, like co-captains almost. But I, I do think that there had to be a certain amount of a different focus for him 
being the wearing the C, and to bring a team uh, back to the Stanley Cup after losing the greatest player in the history of the game, you know that had that had to be a lot of uh, yeah uh, quite the process along the way. And then not to mention '94 when you go there with the Rangers and talk about the the epitome of walking walking the walk, right? When he when he calls that game against Jersey, that the guarantees that win and scores a hat trick to make it happen, like that's that that's 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 like a captain's captain. Good old, good old Saint Albert boy. <laughs> do, do you guys might as well uh, ask this one then? Do you have like a five guys that uh, are leaders throughout history in the sports world that you roll to that you think about, or go ahead, Bob, and then Chad. Well, I think, again, it's so tough to compare leadership uh, because... Um, I, I don't mean, like, uh, ranking them. I just mean, like, five guys that you think about. <laughs> yeah, well, M- Messi, for me, comes first and foremost when I think of a great uh, captain, uh, sports captain. Uh, Eisenman as well, because Eisenman is a guy... Like, he took over for uh, Danny Garrett. Like, that's how, that, like, that's how long uh, he was captain for it. Like, 20 some years there when the last captain was Danny Gare. Like, holy smokes. Danny Gare to Steve Eisman and then Nicholas Lindstrom. So there's a, there's a huge gap there. Uh, so that kind of uh, longevity and, and later success. Like when, when Steve was first with the Red Wings, they were shit. They were a brutal team. And he, he stuck with them through thick and thin and, and then was able to see success with it. Sticking with hockey, uh, one of my personal favorites is Shane Doan because this is a guy who definitely could have gone to a different franchise and probably found more uh, professional success and team success with any other team, but he stayed loyal to the team that drafted him, to the franchise that drafted him, and it was trying to grow the game there as much as possible and lead every generation of Jet slash Coyote that came through those doors. Uh, obviously, you look at broader scheme of things. Tom Brady's been brought up. Derek Jeter's been brought up. These are good examples of captains. Uh, Michael Jordan, yes, I know there's guys that do hate him. There's guys that come out in public, ex-teammates that do hate him. I think that's because uh, I think Michael's probably one of those captains that challenges you the most uh, for the greater good of the team. And if you don't meet that standard, he, he probably shits on you pretty hard. And that might leave a bitter taste in some people's, some people's mouths. But most of those guys, they have him to thank for uh, helping them you know, win these championships because he drove them, drove them there. And he'd step on toes to do it. But uh, those are some of the names that come to my mind. Uh, we'll start with the greatest leader of all time, Tiger, Tiger, Tiger Woods, y'all. What about Dustin Sports? That guy doesn't need to make we'll, an appearance we'll tonight. <laughs> we'll get to that piece of shit later on the lack of leadership. Actually, let's go. Let's go there now. Dustin Schwartz, hashtag. I fucking hope you get fired sooner than later. That's um, that's my hashtag for the night. Uh, Glenn Sather, I think, was a great leader. I think he understood his team inside and out. I think he, the eighty, the the eighties Oilers and the ninety. Well, when Messi won, isn't gonna happen if Sather doesn't isn't there. I honestly believe that to be true. I think that he kept that ship in a forward motion rather than a who knows where those kids would have went because we all know what kids can do. Um, Very well said, Chad. Very well said. 
Yeah, pa- uh, Patrick Waugh was a great leader. Uh, I hate to say it, but he was. He really, really was. Yeah. He, uh, oh boy, he's well, got the he's 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 got the cup wins to prove it. Let's uh, put it out there, and oh he, he led his team. Oh, Bob, we have so much. Grant Fear was not a great leader. Grant Fear was a great puck stopper, but Patrick Waugh, he liked to lead his teams. Um, Roberto Luongo was not a great leader. I'm not sure why the fuck they put a C on his dress, uh, on his, uh, <laughs> his jersey. Freudian slip. Weirdest, weirdest, weirdest shit I ever saw in my whole life that he couldn't even go to center ice to talk to the ref. So I'm not sure why. Um, I'm more inclined for coaches. Coaches to me are the, the benchmark for your teams. That's how I feel. Scotty Bowman was a great fucking leader. A leader. He created a great organization and he kept things his way. I loved that about him. Um, yeah, that's kind of where, where I go with all that. Michael Jordan was also a great leader. So, uh, be bear. Um, fuck you. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, you know, I could I, let's let's go around the horn with coaches after, but um, you, you know, for me, I would take pieces out of every great athlete uh, that I that was out there. It didn't matter what sport they were playing, you know. Um, Pele Santos in soccer when I was a kid. I mean, that's a name that nobody knows now, but uh, you know, watching the guy do bicycle kicks and and all of that stuff, and and I mean. Yeah, when it when it comes in terms of leadership, Michael Jordan had a different style. You know, Tom Brady has a different style. Um, Mark Messier had a different style. Wayne Gretzky had a different style. These these guys are great leaders. I mean, you you guys mentioned Iserman. I'll throw in Jerome Aginla. I mean, when Aginla that that year that the Flames thankfully lost <laughs> to the Lightning, um, I I fell in love with the guy because in every series of that that road to the cup. I mean, he fights Hatcher. That, to me, that was retribution for all the cross checks in the back that Ryan Smith took. I mean, Smitty's another leader. Um, didn't only wore the C for one game. And to me, that's the biggest travesty in, in Edmonton Oilers history. But uh, again, I mean, fighting Hatcher, fighting Le Cavalier all, all the way. I mean, yeah, he could do that. But I think it set the tone for the team. Like, we we don't need to back down. We don't need to be afraid from anybody. And and I'm here for you guys. I got your back. I don't care who it is. And, give, give, and, give Vinny the Cavalier some credit there, too. Those are two captains going out there. Those are two leaders stepping up and setting the tone yeah. for that series. And it was a pretty good scrap, you know. Yeah. And uh, I think Le Cavalier did better than Hatcher did. And uh, <laughs> yeah. Hatcher's got more size. Um you know, th- those are guys, you, you mentioned Shane Doan, um, you know, I mean, being in Arizona all that time and, and just not, you never heard him complain about it. Uh, and the guy was a warrior. So, I mean, that's, you know, that goes without saying, um, you know, Magic Johnson with the LA Lakers back in the day, Kobe um, led, you know, that clip shows him leading by example, but he was a vocal leader too. And, uh, you know, led by example, but in that same time frame when that clip was from him, you know, I think their coach uh, of that Olympic team had them practice in Vegas on purpose to see if these guys were going to be partying and, and carrying on and and if Kobe was going to be able to reel them in, and he did. Um, so, I mean, the coach was a little bit of a 
backhanded leadership there with with all of that too. Um, that kind of stuff goes on. Oh, you know. Backhanded or forehanded, let's face it. Yeah. You make the right call or the wrong call. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he he's a pretty smart guy, that, that coach of that team. I mean, he only coached uh, college, but he was pretty successful at it. And I, I've got a clip of his I'll, I'll show in a few. But uh, Messier is up there for me, you know, as, as one of the greatest leaders in, in hockey, you know, promising – um, that they would win the series against Jersey, like Bob mentioned, scoring a hat trick and, uh, you know, debating whether or not he made the right decision on the way to the rink with Kevin Lowe before. I don't know if you guys knew that or not, but yeah. he's like, he's like, oh, I might have overdone it this time. <laughs> but, the, you know, probably had that nervous energy and I got to back up what I just put out and, and he did. And, you know, uh, Messiah Mark, I think, is what they know him as in, in New York. So. <laughs> Um, I mean, Derek Jeter, you know, he played for the Yankees. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Red Sox fan, but I always had respect for him, um, just his approach and his demeanor. And, you know, you talk about the ego, but uh, I don't think you get to be a professional athlete without having a, a fairly substantial ego. But I think he's, he's one guy that knows a little bit about how to keep it in check. I, I still don't believe him on the emulating other people part of what he said, but uh, the rest of it, I, I, I think it's, it's spot on. Um, yeah. You know, I think subtle leadership though has a place too. I think if people, and I think it takes longer to be more of a subtle leader, you know, people have to see day after day, your approach is the same. You're going about things the same and it never changes and it never wavers, but it, it takes time for people to see that and to, and for that to resonate with them. And they have to see you get results before they buy in. So I think it takes a little bit longer, but I think leadership in general is not something that happens, you know, just like that. I think, I think people do need to see that, you know, what you're putting out there actually works and then they'll, they'll buy in. Uh, I don't think there's much buy-in if, unless people see results. Mm -hmm. Yeah, can't argue that for sure. And you're right. Uh, you make a great point about subtle leadership. There, there's definitely a place for that. But that is just something that that kind of comes over time. Absolutely. There's a there's a great quote from a, a guy that used to coach the UCLA, John Wooden. He said, "Good leadership, good coaching is being able to pr provide correction without resentment." So I think I think the you know if you're going to convey a message to somebody, the way you go about saying it. Uh, probably matters and, and it'll have more impact if you say it the right way. Well, yes and no. I mean, uh, like uh, Scotty Bowman, uh, you know, Chad brought him up there before. Like Scotty Bowman was not known as a player's coach. I mean, yeah, he was very loyal to, to some of his guys, but he's like, he demanded a lot for them. There's a lot of, a lot of guys that played for Scotty Bowman that didn't like him, but liked the results that Scotty got. Out yeah. Of I, I, I think players have changed, you know, I don't think, well, it's obvious. I mean, Daryl Sutter worked, you know, five, six years ago, obviously it's not working now for the guy, you, you know, the, the, the player today is not like when we were athletes in our day. They aren't. Which is why I, which is why I can't really coach much today. Cause I can't, <laughs> I don't know how to communicate to them. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you, Bob. It's a big skill. I, respond, I responded to the John Tortorella types. That's who I responded uh, uh, better with, those kind of coaches. I didn't want to be sugar-coated. If I suck, tell me I suck, and then I'll bounce back from that. Don't go – don't give me this, uh, you know what, nice try, Bob. 
Well, you'll do better next time. You know what? I shit the bed this game. That's just that's just yeah. I, let's just point that out. Make the changes, and we'll carry on. I, I was like Pac-Man. You know, you got to give me something, and and then I'll eat it. If you're not giving me anything, I don't know what to eat. Yeah, you can't do that now. That sounds like a that sounds like a whole other uh, podcast. Yeah, I agree. Probably going to get us. I agree. Chad. So <laughs> we got a few more clips, and we'll we've ran past the hour, but we'll go a little longer. Um, Coaches, coaches, let's do the coaches, coaches that you hold in high regard based on, you know, how they convey their message and, and, and lead their teams. Glenn Sather and Scotty Bowman. Yeah, I can't argue that. Uh, Glenn Sather to me, like, well, obviously he was the coach of my formula years watching the Oilers then when I was just becoming this huge hockey fan. And then reading up on the stuff and you know, becoming kind of an amateur hockey historian, especially with the Oilers, you, you, you could just tell. Well, it's evident and obvious that all the players say that what a what a father figure Glenn Sather was. He was a he, he was strict when he needed to be. And he let the boys be boys when they needed to be. Uh, like he just read the room uh, perfectly. And you know, yeah, he was the coach's coach. And Scotty Bowman, like he's he's gonna go down as as probably the greatest coach of all time. And and a totally different coaching style. Uh, I, I read his book. It's it's pretty it's pretty fascinating to see his kind of his background. And, and how he developed his coaching style. But uh, that's a guy who was just, like, he laid down the letter of the law, but he got he got oh, yeah. the best out of you by challenging you. Probably more like a Mike, as Michael Jordan was as a captain of the Bulls, where he challenges you uh, for the better of the team, not afraid of stepping on toes. Scotty Bowman was did that as a, at a coach's position. He wasn't afraid to step on toes, but he demanded the best from you, and he pushed you until you, you gave it to him. And fuck, did it work? It, huh, unreal. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I, I like Sather being kind of the dad to everybody. And if you read it, read a, a little bit about the Chicago Bulls, Phil Jackson was the same guy. I mean, with Dennis Rodman, the guy was everything for him, spiritual <laughs> advisor, uh, psychiatrist. Uh, um, yeah, so th those two, Bill Belichick in, in New England, um, I, I like his kind of, you know, when they lose a game, it's <laughs> on to Green Bay. Like it's it it's over and we're on to the next and let's forget about that, fix what we got to fix and 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 carry on. Um, he doesn't let things linger linger too much. So, I mean, those are those are a few guys, um, you know, Terry Francona, former Red Sox manager, um, kind of same same thing. Um you know, let players be players, but there's guidance. There's more than just what goes on on the field, um, you know, for those type of people. Um, and this other guy, I guess, is a pretty good one to segue to, too. Um, same coach that coached those guys at the Olympics. Um, this is a pretty quick little quip, but uh, might as well show it, too. As you've been coaching over the years, what would you say are the most important uh, lessons of leadership that you've learned? The very first thing is that you know, in order to get better, you change limits. And when you change limits, you're going to look bad and you're going to fail. And at West Point, I learned that failure was never a destination. In other words, when you are knocked back, you know, figure out why and then, then change. The other thing is that you're not going to get there alone. You know, be on a team. You know, be, surround yourself with good people and learn how to listen. You know, you know don't. Uh, you're not going to learn with you just talking. 
And when you do talk, converse. Don't make excuses. You know, figure out the solution, and you don't have to figure it out yourself. And you know, to me, that's what we've tried to build our program on uh, for the 40, 42 years now that I've been a coach. Now so there's some little nuggets in there. I, I think he's a pretty wise man and, and uh, you know, listening and, and actually, uh, um, you know, having a dialogue with people rather than just saying what you want to say. I mean, you, you listen for and <laughs> take in what they're actually saying. So, you, you know, you're in tune with, with the person. I think that's important. Well, it's a style that he learned or, or uh, that he developed for himself. And, you know, not every coach is going to have that same uh, strategy or same mentality. But obviously, he like he was, he's a legend, so it, it worked yeah. for him. And then, like, as we as you mentioned earlier, like with Scotty Bowman, he, he doesn't have that style. And uh, and yet he also just a legend, you know, the greatest, greatest of his time. To each their own. I mean, it's not always going to work for every team. It's not going to always work for every player. Uh, but no, uh, read, reading, read, reading the room, figuring out yeah. what's going to work for for you and what's going to work for the team. Yeah. that's the key. That's a, that's a huge key. Yeah, identifying and problem solving and and that such. You know, one thing uh, when you mentioned Scotty Bowman there before, there, Chad. Uh, one thing that that kind of triggered for me was like, I wonder like. When the when the Russians came over here and they all ended up playing for Detroit at one point, he, he brought the best out of the the Russians uh, that late in their NHL careers or in their professional careers. He brought the best out of them and they won cups together. Uh, they didn't have that kind of success, individual success or team success on on any other team they were on. And I wonder if it's because Scotty Bowman's coaching style might have been somewhat similar to like uh, Victor Tikhonov or somebody like that who. You know, prod, you know, very strict, uh, very demanding, uh, would push you. And I think maybe that's what they were used to and brought the best in them. Uh, I don't know. I just I just kind of put that puzzle piece together when you mentioned it before and forgot to mention it when I talked about Scotty before. I got I got another yeah, well, I got a sorry, Chad. I got another mess clip that I want to show. And it he picks up on something that I think is is phenomenal. Um just the difference between the dressing room in Edmonton when he left to, to New York. And um, I mean, it, it shows kind of like what the Oilers were like and, and probably explains what the Rangers were, were like prior to him being there. So I'll play this. And then I only have one more clip to show and that's right when we're ready to shut her down. So um, just one sec. One of my favorite times when I played for 26 years was at, 15 minutes after warm-up that everybody's in the locker room and everybody's getting ready for the game and you harness 20 players energy together just before you go out onto the ice and and harnessing that energy is was the most important thing for me I think um, as a captain and the leadership of the team in order to make sure everybody was invited into the circle everybody was present everybody was made feel welcome everybody was made to feel important and when i got to new york you know i could you know it, in edmonton when i was sitting around the locker room the way the locker room was constructed is i could sit in my locker room and i could see everybody and everybody could see each other there so we could look in each other's eyes and faces and make sure everybody was engaged and all the things And when i got to new york right in the middle of the room they had a great big table a training table with tape and 
and great big water coolers and Gatorade coolers and cups and all that. So I couldn't see the other side of the dressing room. And I was, I, I, when I first got there, I said, well, this is kind of strange. I mean, you know, I can't even see my teammates 10 feet across from me. And so uh, I said to, to, the, uh, to, the, uh, to Neil, I think at the time, I said, and to the coach, I said, do, do you guys not think it's strange that this is kind of blocking? To me, it was like blocking energy. I, I use a term that I'm, is, is a visual blockage, but what I was trying to say, this is blocking the energy of 20 guys in the room that are trying to go out there as, a, as one unit and, and kick some ass. <laughs> but uh, so we changed that, and there were some other things like that that, uh, that needed to be changed. But there were small things and small hurdles along the way in order to kind of get to the culture thing that we talked about earlier. I mean, that's awesome, right? And it, oh, yeah. it kind of shows you how dressing rooms should be designed now, you know, like, and amazing insight, you you know, and, and you're taught, like, you know, when I did my two years of uh, kinesiology and uh, didn't go any further, but <laughs> you're taught, like, when you're approaching kids that you sit down and you go down to their level. So you're not standing above them and, and they feel intimidated. So you go down to their level and you, and you have to have eye contact and, and they, so you know, they're listening and you can see them and they can see you and, and all that. And I mean, the dressing room is no different. If you want to have everybody engaged, you got to be able to see them all. Well, isn't that just the mindset of a leader? Like how long yeah. do you think the dressing, the dressing room was that way? In New Probably York? one day. <laughs> Right, right, right. And then he probably barked right away and it got changed right away. Like he noticed it, picked up on it right away. And then like yeah. that's that's the mind of a leader, just just picking up on a little nuance like that and realizing what a difference maker that is. Right. Yeah, it's awesome. I, it's just, yeah. And it, and it shows you what Mark was all about. I mean, you, you get a lot out of the that little clip there of his style. And if you don't love Mark, then you can all fuck off. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> mess. I, I don't imagine you'd love him if you were playing against him. But, uh, I mean, if he's on your team, you, you know he's going to go to war and run through a wall for you and, and all of that. And, um, you know, I think great leaders have to be that, that way. Uh, you know, MJ ready to fight Xavier McDaniel because Xavier McDaniel is in Scottie Pippen's grill. So don't tell me that Scottie Pippen hates Michael Jordan. I think there's a healthy respect there. I think, I think Scottie might be resentful of that Michael's son is dating his ex-wife, but uh, I think deep down Scottie Pippen has a healthy respect for Michael Jordan. If, if you're going to ask me the three people that I think uh, hate Michael Jordan, it's BJ Armstrong, Horace Grant, and Craig Hodges. And uh, I don't know all, all their reasons, but those are my three. <laughs> but uh, I think, you know, Steve Kerr, Michael Jordan punched him in the face in practice. Steve Kerr's got nothing but love for Michael Jordan because he knew that that punch was tough love and, and that they were, you know, going to win if, if he, he bought into the way Michael wanted things done. Didn't Steve Kerr owe Michael a bunch of money? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't think Steve Kerr – I think Steve Kerr knew better than to gamble with Michael because Michael, if he lost, he would never let it go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah, let's good job, boys. Let's play for quarters uh up against the wall. <laughs> yeah. Um anything else yeah. you guys want to add or 
for you. Yeah. Happy. Oh, this is, this was good. a lot of fun, boys. Yeah, it was a good yeah. topic. It was a good topic. Very, uh, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. It's such a yeah. under, such an underrated, but, but just exceptionally huge part of uh, of sports. It is, yeah. Dash is going to write an article on uh, leadership and the various aspects of it. So this was kind of a precursor to that. I needed to piggyback off of that group chat. Uh, you know, I, I guess I couldn't handle my hero uh, kind of getting a shot shot from Ebear, and he was just doing it to get a rise out of me, and it worked. Are you, are you telling me that I got to try to read words that Dash puts together? <laughs> um. Well. Holy. Uh, can he can he get Commodore to write it for him? <laughs> um. Yeah. So I'm once he writes that I'm gonna I'm gonna write a article based on why I see similarities between Dreisaitl, McDavid, Pippen, Jordan, and uh, great leaders throughout sports too, and kind of the '80s Oilers, Mark, Mark Wayne. '80s Oilers watching uh, you know New York you know win the Stanley Cup but ice themselves down and do all that instead of celebrating. And learning what it takes to win the Stanley Cup and the Chicago Bulls, you know, hitting the weight room to get stronger, to be able to beat the Detroit Pistons, all that kind of stuff. And I think McDavid kind of has taken a page from uh, from that too, because I see him, you know, the last couple of years just training even harder in the offseason, refusing to accept that uh, can't get it done and is going to do what it takes to get it done. And I, I firmly believe that this is going to be the season we do get it done. So there's your uh, prediction. Um, so I'm going to close tonight. Uh, uh, if, if you guys have a last word, go ahead. No, you're good. Just chat. Okay. Uh, tiger, yeah. tiger, uh, tiger, hashtag tiger. Fuck, uh, hashtag fuck you, Dustin Schwartz. Yeah. Got to throw that in there. Yeah. So and, uh, over to you, Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> How can I follow up such poetry? No, I'm good. So I'm going to say, um, Keep your sticks on the ice. Keep reaching for the stars. Go Oilers, go. Lots of articles on heavyhockey.com. Lotsburg is uh, cranking them out. Um, Dustin Nielsen and Tom Gazzola have given us mentions for kind of breaking the news that Sam Gagne in the future is going to remain with the Oilers in some sort of role. Um, Also, you know, uh, I think it was Lotsburg said uh, a few weeks ago, and Hebert as well, that, uh, well, I think Hebert broke the Bouchard uh, signing and, and the terms before uh, Elliot Friedman. So add a few R's to the insider for Michael. Um, I've got an article on our interview with Rob Shrimp and kind of um, some parts to that interview that I don't even think you guys were aware of. So when that breaks, uh, I'll send it to you both. Um, Rob's a pretty inspiring individual and you'll know a little bit more why after that comes out. Um, so with that, I'm going to let Tom Brady close us tonight and then we'll play our little close video and, uh, good night, everybody. Um, some stranger, I think was the only really active watcher tonight, but, uh, this is a good episode, and uh, once we get it on Spotify, we'll promote it out there too. Um, to me, this is a bit of an evergreen episode where it's going to be good whether you're watching tonight, tomorrow, two years from now, or five years from now. 
leadership in sports is something that's not going away anytime soon. I think it's essential and I think it's an important topic and I'm glad we got to talk about it tonight. So with that, I will let uh, Mr. Tom Brady end us tonight. Magic you're looking for is in the will of trying and not giving up. The love of your dream is in your heart. One day you'll look back on your life and appreciate the struggle and have nothing but gratitude for everything that happened along the way. And you come to recognize that in return, you're given the chance to earn the greatest edge of all and one that can never be taken away. To anyone who's struggling early in the morning or late at night in pursuit of your dream, struggles that many will never see, and to any leaders out there who believe in someone who doesn't yet believe in themselves, keep going, keep going, because will always finds a way. I want to live a great, impactful, purposeful life, and I want to impact people from the lessons that I've learned and see if people can learn anything and try to relate it in their life some way. I've been fortunate to learn the right things, and I, what I believe to be the right things, what work for me. So I, I wrote them down, because people ask me all the time, hey, I want to do it. How do I do it? What should I do? And I said, okay, well, let me think about it, and you know, let me articulate it in a way that you know, people can understand. I wasn't blessed with a lot of things that they wrote about. You know, they want someone tall, they want someone fast, they want someone strong, they want someone that can, you know, have all these physical traits. But I didn't have all those physical traits at the time. So I had to work to develop other traits, you know, leadership, perseverance, determination, work ethic, discipline. And then you get to be a professional athlete and everyone's really talented. Well, what other skills have you developed? You know, you can't just rely anymore on being the most gifted, being the most talented. What other things have you been able to develop? And I was fortunate to be in very competitive environments. I'm not gonna bring the typical, you know, what you're looking for, but if you give me time to develop, I can develop into something that could, you know, be a great leader of a team and be very disciplined and set the tone and, you know, great work ethic. And those were things that I enjoyed then and I still enjoy those things now. I'm an athlete. I depend wholly on my body. My body is my asset. I can't go out there on the field and eat, you know, fast food and expect it to perform. If I don't have this, if it breaks down, I can't play. When I was, I wrote it in the book, when I was a young 25 years old, I couldn't throw the ball. I had a terrible diet when I was a kid, the worst diet, you know, I, and probably all the way through I was 25. And then I was like, okay, well, this isn't working out well. You know, I'm not quite getting the results I want to get, so why don't I change? Why don't I try some different things? And over the course of 15 years, it came to this. And it's hard to say for someone, hey, do all these 30 things that make a difference. I think, and I'm right, it's just start slow. Start with what works for you. And maybe start cutting out a few things, but only if you want. I mean, it's everyone's life. They get to choose what they want. It's up to people to determine what they want to achieve. You know, I do have a purpose of wanting to use all the things that I've learned over a long period of time, you know, at the highest athletic level to teach other people what may work for them in their life so they could do the things they want to do. I just had in my mind like, oh, cool, I went to school and I want to play pro football and I'm going to get picked and of course I'm going to play. You crazy? You know, why would you not think that I'm going to be able to do that? And everyone else was like, you should really think about another job or you should put together a resume. And, and I was like, why would I put together a resume? I'm going to go play professional football. I want to be the best I can be. I know when I go out there, it's not to compare myself to this guy or that guy. It's everyone's good. Everyone plays good. I still feel like there's still more to be accomplished. I was practicing the last two days, like 
you know, working on my technique, on my fundamentals, on my, all the things with my training that I still feel like I can be better, be a percentage better. If you happen to be very lucky when you're 10 years old, you'll have people in your life who tell you the world is anything you want it to be and you'll believe them. And those people will never put limits on your abilities. In return, no matter the circumstances, you always try best and you never give up because that's what you do when you're chasing your dream. If you're lucky, you'll have family, teammates, coaches, mentors, and trainers along the way to help you when you lose faith in yourself. And they'll give you the strength to carry on. If you're lucky, you may get picked last. You may ride the bench and many times the team may move on without you. And you come to recognize that in return, you're given the chance to earn the greatest edge of all and one that can never be taken away. Will, heart. So to anyone who feels left out or is afraid of trying their best for fear of failure, you're not alone. The magic you're looking for is in the will of trying and not giving up. The love of your dream is in your heart. One day you'll look back on your life and appreciate the struggle and have nothing but gratitude for everything that happened along the way. To anyone who's struggling early in the morning or late at night in pursuit of your dream, struggles that many will never see, and to any leaders out there who believe in someone who doesn't yet believe in themselves, keep going. Keep going. Because will always finds a way.